Hello, hello. Welcome to Worked. I'm your host, Mark Washbourne, and in today's show, we're going to take a jump into the fascinating world of digital and micro-credentials and their place in the future of work. Right now, we're hearing we're on the verge of experiencing an explosion in the use of micro-credentials. And here's the deal. For employers, Credentials offer a better way to hire the skills that they need and to design teams of people. For educators, there's the promise of improved student engagement, new course offerings, and working more closely with industry. For workers, it means providing a way to stay relevant and to be recognized for gaining new skills. If all this comes together as predicted, we have the makings of a vastly more efficient system to meet the changing needs of the future of work. And our guest to discuss that with has dedicated himself to this world for a number of years. His name is David Kingsella. A quick intro on David. Prior to founding Everitas in 2018 and forming a partnership with digital credential provider Credly across Asia-Pac, David worked in the UK for the City and Guilds Group as part of an ambitious plan to include a digital credential for every student at one of the UK's largest educators. Prior to joining City and Guilds, David was UK National Manager for Adelaide-based learning management system provider E3 Learning. He's been around the education space for a long time. He's a super smart chap. So let's meet the man himself. David Kingsella, welcome, my friend. How the devil are you? I am tremendous, Mark, and very excited to be here to talk about a subject that we share as an obsession, uh, improving the lot of the learner. Yeah, you're, I think you're mildly more obsessed about it than me, but um, I think we certainly do share that. So I'm looking forward to a, a, a lively discussion. And we have five hours. <laughs> five hours should pull us up. Good. So, uh, look, obviously we're here to talk about the future of digital credentialing. But I thought a really good place to start would be to, to delve in a little bit into your own education. Uh, maybe a good start would be to ask what your first credential was. Um, and extension to that, was it made of paper? Yeah, that's a, a good question. I won't talk about my first certification, but I will talk about one that was pivotal to me. And that was, I was lucky enough to get a scholarship to study in New York back in the 80s. And it was pivotal in the sense that it was not traditional education. It wasn't formal, but I learned a lot that has carried me through my career at that time. And it was on lovely paper, but it led me to look at the way education works in the corporate sphere and hopefully today we'll get a chance to touch on some of the learnings from that time. That sounds fantastic. So would tell us a bit about your own career in the education sector. I know you've obviously spent a lot of time in online learning and then had a pathway into this interest, yeah. let's call it the obsession into digital credentials. I think the relationship with education has been a little bit of an uneasy one because I wasn't a traditional learner and right since those early days of that's first uh, scholarship, it's been for me a matter of challenging education and challenging the way education is delivered. And a lot of that started with, uh, at the time I was working, at the time of that scholarship, was working with 3M. And 3M, Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing, had, a, uh, had a, an objective of delivering 30% of revenue from products that didn't exist five years ago. Mm, it's ambitious. So when you're delivering 69,000 separate products, 22 billion a year in sales, that drives a learning culture. And at the time, there was no way 
to accurately gauge the capacity of people coming out of universities, out of training, that could deliver on that objective. And so uh, 3M had very elaborate ways of defining and surfacing capacity. And this was all pre-internet. And the first rule was just gather lots of information. Just gather what you can and then combine that information in new and exciting ways and things will happen. So when the internet came along, the capacity to gather information became absolutely phenomenally supercharged. And what that meant at that time is that you needed mechanisms to define and capture that learning properly. So I've just been fascinated about that topic alone for 20 or 30 years. That's a really interesting uh, journey. Uh, and I can see the connections through there. So, and how did it end up in, tell us about how it ended up in uh, uh, digital credentials particularly. Okay. Um, in 2016, I was, uh, for my sins, I was shipped to the UK to manage uh, a LMS business, E3 Learning, uh, based out of Adelaide. And uh, part of the remit at that time was to shore up that business. And after doing that for 12, 18 months, it was... Uh, acquired by City and Guilds, and in that process, City and Guilds Group in London, uh, one of the world's largest educators, uh, they acquired me in that process. And at the time, they were just launching their digital credential activity, and uh, I was engaged in that project. And at that time, it was a partnership between City and Guilds Group and Credly. And, and the idea was to initially, the goal, the ambitious goal from Chris Jones and others was to add a digital credential to the end of one and a half million certifications issued each year. And so obviously the buy-in from those smart guys, from John Yates, from uh, Jeremy Darty, from all of those guys, it was all about saying, how do we unlock the value of learning more completely? How do we make, how do we extract more value from what we're already doing? And digital credentials were just at the time the obvious answer. Mm. And that's playing out now. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're absolutely seeing that. In fact, you could argue that it uh, feels like an inflection point. I mean, I'm reading about it almost every day uh, in the media and on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, it just feels like it's a, a really pivotal time and there's something has, has changed and it's shifted um, and it's about to blow up. Yeah, it is. And, and that's largely due to the, the pressures at play in the system. So, for instance, uh, as technology develops and, and picks up the rate at which it changes, organisations are saying, well, we need fluid skills. We need not white-collar, blue-collar workers. We need new-collar workers. And, and those terms are about saying we can't anymore just front-end-load educate students and expect that they're going to have some capacity when they enter the workforce. So the, the pressure is there to say, well, look, there's the skills gap. What are we going to do to address that? And the pressure at the moment is just bringing the right people to the table at the right time, and that is the educators, uh, the earners, uh, and those people that are consuming that education. And they're all coming to the table right at this point. Yeah, I think maybe it's, it'll be a really good brass tacks time is just to, for the uninitiated mm. just to go right back and lay the foundations here. You know, what, can you help us to define what exactly is a digital credential? Okay. In, in its simplest form, a digital credential is an artifact that is just essentially packaging information about an accomplishment and embedding it with a digital image that is portable, that is shareable, that is secure, and is effectively, the best way that I could describe it is like an elevator pitch for an accomplishment. 
And once you can distill down what somebody is capable of doing with, within a short form, like a digital credential, and you can enable that to be liberate, uh, to liberate out into the wild, the opportunity to engage that skill becomes just that much easier. And uh, for the sake of understanding the definitions and nomenclature, we're also, we hear a lot of the term micro-credential. We also hear the term badge. Are they all the same thing or uh, are they interchangeable? Well, just let's just take digital credential and, and badge. They can be interchangeable. But if you think about a digital credential, it's like a badge with an education. And, and for me, if you receive a digital credential or a digital badge, for instance, if you're a fellow of the Association of Chartered Accountants and you receive uh, a digital form of recognising your membership, that's still a digital badge, but it's not necessarily a digital credential. But uh, regardless of how you define them, I think the most important thing is to, is to say that the technology on which digital badges and credentials are built is the open badge standard. So it's important that in the educational setting, the distinction is made by credential. And either way, they need to be resume worthy. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just to tell us a bit more around that underlying, the components, I suppose, of the technology, uh, including, for example, how do we secure them and how do we know that this micro-credential is authentic? It's the real deal. Yeah, okay. So the technology, the Open Badge Standard, uh, built in 2012 by IMS Global, started with this notion that you could create what's called a badge class. So you could create a template that was given a unique identifier. And then when you took that unique identifier, that badge template, and you issued it, that's called an assertion. So the combination of a unique individual receiving a unique template from a unique organisation gives a compounding security to that badge. And then beyond that, you can uh, verify on the acclaim, credit acclaim platform or another digital credentialing platform, but you can also uh, issue to blockchain, which gives you enhanced validation, enhanced verification of the technology. But really all it's doing is checking the accuracy of the class and the assertion and the issuer. Mm. Now, it actually reminds me, I was, I was actually cyber-stalking you uh, in preparation for this. I hope you don't mind. Lovely. No, happens all the time. <laughs> and I was looking over your LinkedIn profile. Right. And you actually have some digital credentials, mm -hmm. as I'd probably expect, mm -hmm. sat within your LinkedIn profile. Uh, and one of those is actually in blockchain itself. Can you tell us a bit about that experience? Yeah, so that, that was part of my learning as well. So uh, if, if you can issue blockchains to digital uh, digital credentials to blockchain, it, it's important that you understand the underpinning technology. Why is that important? So I, I set about looking for a, a particular course on uh, essentials, foundational stuff. And IBM have, uh, used to be called Big Data University, now it's cognitiveclass.ai, and they offer these courses free of charge. So it made sense that I went through the process of doing a course to understand exactly that underpinning technology. But when I earned that particular badge in blockchain essentials, I found that it added a richness to my capacity to do my job. But the interesting thing is it was viewed oh, 900 to 1,000 times after that I was put all it was all me. Out. was all you doing. <laughs> great. Well, that's great. Well, that's, well, there was probably another person. My wife probably looked at it as well. Um, but the idea at that point was that it had a life of its own and it became part of the currency of me. And that is the most interesting thing because I could then trade on the currency of me. Mm. And so internalising the way digital credentials work, that badge was critical. 
And if you also look on LinkedIn, you'll see that I've got a Credly Ambassador badge, which is issued to the Bitcoin blockchain. And it's just nice to know that I understand how that works a little bit as a result of going through an education process yeah. and getting acknowledged for that. Yeah, it's a really, really good example that bring, brings this to life, I think. So um, and let's come back to IBM, actually. You mentioned IBM there before because they've probably been one of the early adopters and have issued a hell of a lot of uh, digital credentials. So can we put a pin in that? Um, I, th I feel that it's it's almost surprising, isn't it, that this area of like a global digital system for the recognition of achievement has, has really taken so long to become digitized. And why do you think that is? It's taken quite so long to actually have a, a digital solution for this. I think uh, there's been many attempts prior to 2012 when the open badge standard was uh, being developed. There were attempts to uh, recognize learning in the form of a digital summary and so that's been around for a while but but wasn't what wasn't there was the empirical evidence about how it worked and that's only a recent development so if, if you do talk about IBM it's a really good example because as at this year they've issued over 2200 separate badged programs and over 2 million digital credentials and the clever thing about IBM is that they used it started off with a single use case and that was how do we engage developers using IBM software products? How do we engage them to better understand how to use those products? And that initial trial, they really didn't understand. It was just all sorts of... It was an experiment, right? Yeah, it was an experiment. It was just guesswork about what was going to happen. But what they saw was significant uh, improvements in uptake. They saw phenomenal increases in... Uh, people taking on second courses. They saw uh, completion rates go through the roof in triple digits. And those were the things that said, okay, well, let's take this a little bit further. But the clever thing about IBM was that they used the digital credential as a, uh, a tool for dialogue. So within a digital credential, you can bake in evidence. You can bake in the criteria it's taken to earn that particular skill or accomplishment. But you can also put surveys in there. How valuable is this to you in your career? What would you like to see us do next? Here's something that we suggest you do next to move on down a progressive line of other digital credentials. So they just continued the experiment. And to this point, they have 15 key measures for their digital credential program. And on all measures, it's significantly shifted uh, the capacity of the organisation to meet its business objectives and in ways that they never expected. Mm. And, and we can cover some of those today if you want, if we've got time. Love to. No, it's a, such a fabulous case study. So what can you share about, obviously, IBM's had huge success and I'm sure are going to continue to invest in this, but what's the state of digital credentials around the world? Uh, obviously, I think we can see pockets where maybe it's grown faster. Uh, you know, how, wh where is it most taking off? Yeah, I, th I think um, wherever the skills required, wherever the capacity to do something has significantly changed in recent time. Uh, organisations are under some pressure to look at new ways of, uh, of addressing that, of developing skills quickly. And it's been that the traditional educators have had to try and keep up with the pace of designing new programs, uh, of, of uh, assessing, of training people and then releasing them out into the workforce. So organisations have basically said, we need these skills now. Uh, and as a result of saying that, they've taken on the, uh, the role of educating within, in an applied sense within the organisation. So an organisation like IBM, uh, there are many other examples where the, the heat is on 
to remain competitive uh, and, and not have to wait for education to catch up. Let's do it ourselves. I think uh, from what I've learned about the emergence of micro-credentials, much of which I've learned from you, may I say. Oh, thank you. Um, is that uh, it seems that the, the deeper that we go into it, it's uh, more benefits emerge and it's become sort of a multifaceted thing and uh, and it almost is it's sort of snowballing. Yeah, it is absolutely snowballing. And, and I think it comes out because the evidence is there because people are now starting to digest it and say, well, okay, the guesswork is the, the fog's clearing around how to apply the technology. Uh, and as it clears, the experiments continue. And, and one of the things that, uh, you know, when you say, has digital credentials uh, taken off? It certainly has, but it's taken off in so many different directions. And, and for me, some of that's gone horribly right, some of it's gone horribly wrong. And all of that is learning. Uh, and there should be a digital credential for learning how to use digital credentials. Well, so. I, let's, should we jump into some of the triumphs and some of the mm. travesties? Yeah. And, uh, and and see where we end up. So we talked about the IBM program. Any mm -hmm. uh, can give us another great example of uh, what's worked really well. Yeah. Okay. I think I think the one that's most appropriate for me, if you think back to to my understanding of of how education should work, the most uh, impressive example that we now have empirical evidence about how it works is the Colorado Community College uh, system okay. in the US. Uh, in can, I just, can I just jump in? They're predominantly vocational education oh, absolutely. Equ equivalent? Yep, yep. absolutely. And, and, and very much about applied learning. Right. Okay, so uh, in 2017, there were seven US states that recorded record low unemployment. And at the top of that list was uh, Colorado. And that wasn't always the case. So pre-2017, there was, in the advanced manufacturing sector, there was 15,000 unfilled positions. And this is a really critical point, um, that uh, the Colorado Community uh, College System, 39 different colleges, uh, and for them, they were producing, there was output, there were students coming out, and, and they were trying to enter the workforce. And uh, the, the workforce was saying, look, the, this is great. They understand in theory some of this stuff, but but it's not actually what we want. Yeah. And, and so uh, Brenda Perea, who was at uh, Colorado Community College at that point, said, okay, let's, let, let's set up a sector summit. Let's bring industry in. And one of the things, and, and this is critical to understanding digital credentials, and that is that it doesn't just address the skills gap. It addresses a communications gap. Okay. So if within the frame of a digital credential, you can agree on the criteria that expresses that competency and the demonstrated skills, and that can be agreed by all of the stakeholders, then it will be readily consumed and the training will deliver on that message. So, so you're ironing out misinterpretation of what a skill is, what an accomplishment is, what does it mean to use that machine? And they could define the language. And once you define the language and you capture it within a digital credential, it, it becomes a currency. And so an employer can say, I want somebody with that badge, right? Because they've de designed it with the college and it's, it's got the right language and people know how to use that machine and so on. So, you know, that, that, that drove the success of, of their program. Yeah, if I was to draw a parallel, you know, I was reading earlier in the week, our, our education minister, mm -hmm. uh, Dan Tian, 
It's talking about the growing skills gap in Australia mm -hmm. happening across a number of industries. Yeah. Uh, infrastructure is probably a really good example as we go through a, a, a boom stage. Yeah. And he really talks about, I guess, was really given a strong push to promote education and skills that industry wants, mm -hmm. which is maybe the missing piece at the moment. And yeah. uh, and, and talks about credentials as, as maybe part of that solution. Mm -hmm. And that's really sort of bridging the gap, isn't it, between the d real demand led uh, from employers as to what they really want. Yeah, it is. And, and so what is inevitable here is that there's going to be a combination of education and legislation. Okay, so uh, in the UK, it was a case that uh, universities are increasingly, or higher education institutions are increasingly judged on employment outcomes, not just graduates. Okay, and funding is tied to that. So there's an education, there's a legislation exercise. And all of that will come. It will be stimulated through education, like what you and I are doing, you know, having these conversations. Um, but the legislation needs to be there. Something needs to bring, there needs to be incentives to have one education system driven by uh, the most agile trainers over to work with employers to break down the communication gap. Yeah, so I think what you talked about with Colorado is really the opportunity for more co-design of programs absolutely between educators and employers which is probably one of the criticisms criticisms that we see of our education system is that often we're churning out students maybe that industry with skills that they ultimately don't want absolutely and so education will not be front-end loaded it will be an open loop of people continuing to be educated with a common language between the major stakeholders of the educators the earners and the consumers of that and that common language will be enshrined within a currency a digital credentialing currency. And and the spin-offs, we're just starting to understand. So, for instance, a digital credential uh, engineers out bias. So if I make a decision to employ someone based on seeing their competencies rather than their gender, rather than their ethnicity, rather than their social standing, rather than whether they're a mate or not, there is an inevitably better outcome for the organisation. Yeah. And so that tool does that. It engineers out uh, bias as one uh, important element yeah. of the technology. I think it also helps to support this thirst that employers have for more of the softer skills, potentially, as well as attributes. Yeah, and and, and I, I think the term employability skills. I'll go back to the Colorado Community College story for a minute because what they found was that, okay, so we, we now know what... Uh, the 1,200 organisations that are participating now in that Colorado program, we now know what they want, and it includes employability skills, how to work in a team, how to collaborate, design thinking, all of those employability, transferability skills. And what they're finding there is that organisations that are not even participating in those programs are getting the spillover of people with skills in those areas because they can see them. And they can say, well, I know in the advanced manufacturing sector, You've got leadership skills. I can see that. You've got uh, design thinking skills, empathy. It's all identified. That can apply to the health sector. That can apply to construction. That can apply to you name it. And so the badges themselves are becoming a, a, a currency far more widely traded than was originally expected. And that's just not Colorado. That's the US. That's globally. And if someone turned up in, in your office with competencies expressed uh, in that way, and when you check them, they're verified by the issuing entity. It doesn't matter where you are on the planet. That stuff means something. 
a dollar is a dollar is a dollar in a lot of countries and, mm. and that's the way it works yeah come back if we may a little later to the whole recruitment hiring piece and what it might yeah, unlock yeah. i mean sure. the whole thing's just in incredibly exciting as, as, as to what's possible there but may i drag you a, a little bit closer back to home um sure. can you obviously you've been back in in australia for a while what's going on here and uh, can you share some uh, some stories yeah i can um credly had the good fortune uh to find early adopters in in this market uh, and and some people with a whole lot of intelligence with a whole lot of uh, skill but also an enormous sense of curiosity about saying well and really empathy for their for their learners because what was happening is they're saying okay we're putting people out to the market how can we do that better you know what problems are we trying to solve here and, and so they experimented with digital credentials and you've got people like Darian Rossiter at, uh, at RMIT, you've got Beverly Oliver, you've got Alan Radford. Uh, these guys have been messing and tinkering with the technology for a long time. And that's generally fed back into the markets where there is scale. So there's a lot of great work being done here, but not necessarily adopted here because it's being sucked up by the IBMs, by the Ernst & Youngs, by the Colorado Community College System. So if you read some of the case studies, uh, Australians are actually designing some of the programs that are hugely successful offshore in conjunction with organisations like Credly. RMIT might be a really good example. Can you share a bit about Absolutely. what they've done over the last few years? Yeah, uh, and, and I would encourage anybody uh, listening to this to go to the RMI, mm. uh, RMIT CREDS site, 21st Century uh, Skills, and the way they define that through their credentialing program. Uh, they've issued over, well over 100,000 badges now. And again, they're focusing on those employability skills. So again, without sort of wanting to take up the time that we've got today, I would just suggest that just RMIT creds, just go and have a look at it. I think what's exciting is that uh Many other educators now have the opportunity to, to stand on the shoulders of these early adopters. Absolutely they do, and, and to learn from it. And, and part, of, part of the missionary work, the evangelism that's going on now around this is that uh, you're in a good position to curate and collect a lot of good information to share with your base. And so for me, that's just hugely exciting. Absolutely. So um, now is there anything else that's, that's holding it back uh, though, what uh, potentially are the, are the barriers? Other, what challenges do we also need to overcome? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, for me, the, the the main one is is a culture. It's a culture thing. So if you look at a a, a traditional Australian university or TAFE, they remind me of a a mobile that hangs over a child's bed, and and, and with a mobile, it's all carefully balanced. There are bits hanging there. And they worry that if you touch one bit, the whole thing moves. And that's the way mobiles work. And they know that if they want to change an academic program, they're going to touch one bit of the mobile and the whole thing will move. And they, for decades, have got this thing carefully balanced. Commercials, on the other hand, they don't worry about the mobile. They'll just go and pull it down. They'll take the bits they need. And the commercial drivers will be such that they won't even worry about the governance model. They'll just try and get commercial results delivered pragmatically and quickly. So that, to me, is, is the challenge, is the culture and the willingness to adapt. Mm -hmm. And Alan Radford, he'll tell you that, you know, the future is, you know, once upon a time, education was the preserve of industry and commerce then it became the preserve of higher education. It will again become the preserve of mm. industry and commerce. And at the same time, what's going to happen, 
the stakeholders, the universities, the vet sector, whoever, educators, will choose to continue to have a role in that new model. But it'll be driven by degrees by apprenticeship, mm. learning on the job, uh, and adapting education in a very practical way. And that's where we're going. And digital credentials are the currency that allows that to be uh, um, normalised, if you like. Yeah, yeah, it strikes me as some educators might certainly see it as a threat uh, to their own business model and their way of working, uh, particularly that in this way education is sort of broken down into smaller chunks. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, the, you see these terms, micro-credentials, you see lifelong learning, you see digital credentials, digital badges. Uh, those terms all have relevance in their in their own separate way so micro learning is good small bits of learning that can be applied in what you're doing every day that encourage you to keep developing to meet the needs of the organization or yourself that's good that's micro credentials and that will happen regardless of digital credentials but the role and that will encourage lifelong learning you do something you learn from that you're acknowledged you get uh, acknowledged for that, you want to do that again. So that's good. Uh, and then you, know, you recognise that in digital credentials. So once you start uh, seeing capacity in terms of skills rather than your work in accounts or your work in engineering or production or your seniority or... Oh, it's a big cultural by, shift. Though. By region. Yeah. And you walk down the corridors of a corporation and what you're seeing is skills. You're not mm. seeing gender, you're not seeing anything, you're seeing capability. Uh, so for me, that's the most exciting thing. And I think when you see more examples of that, uh, the erosion of the traditional cultures will just pick up speed. Mm. And it's this sort of discussion that drives that. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I had, a, I had this quote, actually, or I read a quote, a comparison was drawn that said that uh, music purchases have moved from the album to the song. And this model of granularity in improving skills is also going to move from from the certificate or the degree to the badge or credential. What do you think of that? Yeah, it's a good quote. Uh, I see the digital credential as, or the platform, credibly acclaimed platform in this instance, uh, as Spotify. So for me, it's about saying, let's take the songs and let's create a skills playlist for, for ReadyTech. For, for any of your clients. What is the skills playlist that is most exciting to that organisation? So yes, it is songs and the digital credentials, but the platform allows the, the playlist. And that's, to me, the most exciting bit, is to say, how can I see my organisation as, as a constellation of competencies? Uh, and, and, and how can I retain my best people by acknowledging the contribution they're making to the business and making that visible to the world? That to me is exciting. Yeah, the, the tension I have in this is that I grew up in the, and I, I really love albums. Mm, sure. And I'm actually yeah. sad about the death of the albums. <laughs> yeah. But I'm super excited about the, yeah, well, the uh, growth uh, of smaller sets of skills. Yeah, I'd like to see the skills albums that you guys develop. <laughs> and that's going to be the cool What's thing. What's your favourite album? Uh, I can tell you uh, that the album that most moved me was Jethro Tull, Thick as a Brick. And that's well before your time. But the reason it moved me is that it had a cover made out of a newspaper. Uh, and I don't know where it went. I lost it. But uh, that was kind of formative for that'd me. Probably be, that'd be very expensive to buy now. Vinyl's super collectible. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But I have nothing to play it on. I'll dig that out. Yeah. Be, I'm sure it'll be on Spotify, right? Can you do Yeah. Think yeah. as a brick. If I get caught Jethro listening song. to Jethro at all, am I? <laughs> Please. Uh, yeah. 
Well, that was uh, that was a digression. I think it was a worthy digression, David. Uh, it was. I think another another barrier that I think of potentially is the legislative environment. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we uh, we live in a world of tertiary education, which uh, has a uh, a compliance layer. Uh, how do you think that uh, credentials can can cut through that, or what needs to what needs to happen? I think uh, legislation will catch up with commercial imperatives that are in play at the moment. I think that's been the history, uh, of, uh, of, the history. of new technology, hasn't it? Yeah, it, it is because the corporates are saying, I can train someone to do this right now that is going to deliver on my business objectives. And I can catch that in a digital credential. I can manage that talent. I can develop it. I can fill skills gaps around my global business by being able to uh, map digital credentials and for instance an organization like IBM if they want to take a new product to market uh, now because they've got a standard skills registry they can say I'm going to we're going to take this new product to to APAC or, or South America and in doing so what we want to do is deliver on this concept of readiness okay so readiness is about making sure that when we do go this to market have we got all the right people doing the right things and, and, and can we see that Right. So in that, where is the conversation about uh, higher education? Where is the concept of uh, finding graduates to deliver that? So they find the imperative is being driven by let's, let, let's do this thing, let's train our people, let, let's get them prepared to do the job very pragmatically. Uh, and the clever thing about uh, IBM's program is that they, they had the the smarts to go and open up the doors to IBM and take their programs and throw them out into the street and say to everybody, you can do these now. And so you can go to cognitiveclass.ai, you can do your blockchain essentials badge. And and then when IBM go to recruit globally, they can start to uh, recruit based on who's already done their particular courses. I think what's being reported, what's coming through as well, is that employers are moving towards more a skills-based hiring process as opposed to looking at degrees or pedigrees and so forth. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And the inevitable outcome of this is a closer collaboration between uh, an employer saying, these are the skills we need. And the educators saying, well, we know how to teach these things. We know how to define your programs, design the taxonomies, design learning pathways. And and that is the inevitable outcome is a f- one system of education and applied education uh, and then more of the same. That's the inevitable outcome. Yeah, you you mentioned uh, Alan Radford before, uh, uh, someone that um, we both spoken to about this subject. And and, uh, we were talking the other day and something that really helped me to to think about this was that uh, Alan said, really, this is an opportunity for people over time to stay relevant which I think goes to that term, which is maybe a bit buzzy now, which is lifelong learning. Mm. But really what you're saying, in, an, in a world where skills will become redundant and we need new skills, this is a, a, a very uh, portable and a, an adaptable way for people to stay relevant and then for employers to find those people. A great way to simplify it. It is. So, so, so I, I, think, I think all the players still have a role to play, but I think the technology itself needs to just simply be... See, I don't think a digital credential in and of itself as a bit of technology adds or decreases the value of learning. What it does is it clarifies learning. It enshrines a common language about what is needed to get something done, how to apply that learning. And that's really the, the, the value of the mechanism. It's the elevator pitch for a skill. 
But it also brings in another concept here, which is a really important one. And that is uh, because digital credentials, uh, and it talks about, this is the concept of ownership. Okay, so a digital credential, if I issue one to you, there is, many would say that you owned that. But the reality is, is that as the issuer, because I'm endorsing that, because I'm verifying your skill, I will own that. Okay, so it's my reputation on the line. So I can revoke it, but I can track it and monitor it. And so I will be able to see how you're trading in the currency of you, and I'll be able to make some good decisions about what I do in my training business, about what's in demand, what's not. I'll be able to have a dialogue with the person that I've issued the uh. digital credential with. I know what they're doing with it. And, and, and really that is talks to the whole concept of an open loop of learning. You're going out, I've given you this skill. Within a badge, you can say you've done this. You can actually enshrine within that one badge evidence. You can put in it the criteria, but you can also put in that surveys. How valuable is this in your career? What would you like to see us offer you next? And that was part of the early success with IBM is net promoter scores in each badge. Mm. You know, how, how do we get, how do we use this device for a dialogue to get stickiness with our, with our alumni, with our graduates, mm. uh, and, and invite them back in to do more programs and invite them to help design the next program. Now let's, let's, uh, let's turn a bit more now to the educator as, as, as you were then. This, what, are the, what do you really see as the key advantages of moving towards a digital credentials for education providers? And, and let's say, for example, in Australia, uh, vocational education training providers, both TAFE and RTOs. Okay. I see, uh, as we just spoke about there, I, I think as an analytics tool for a training organisation to connect more fully with their graduates. It, you know, think about if I've gone and done a degree or... Uh, being given a certification for something. Uh, once upon a time, it was like, goodbye, see you later, go and have a nice pat career. And pat on the back and there's your bit of paper and it's probably in the bottom drawer or whatever. Now I I'm going to give you, uh, it's almost like a skills marriage. It's a relationship that we share. And going forward, this digital credential is something that we share. Uh, and in doing that, how can we use this to have an ongoing dialogue and to deliver on that idea of a lifelong learning journey, professional pathway? And I had a really interesting discussion with a senior guy uh, in a bank, uh, and, and he had a, an interesting view of digital credentials. And he had a, a very enlightened view of education. And, and he said that uh, as technology affects his bank, what is going to happen is that he is going to right-size, downsize, change the shape of the organisation, and he has a duty of care to everybody that is currently with him, knowing that they will have a life beyond his institution. And what is his responsibility to give those individuals the best opportunity for their future? And so he was developing programs that gave them those employability skills, those transfer skills, and then bestowing on those individuals a currency that they could trade. And that was a gift. Now, most organisations need to understand that they, they take up a place on a career, long career, and it's their duty of care to somehow leave people better than they found them. Mm. Uh, and in the perfect world, keep them, enable them, develop them, engage them. Uh, 
that's important. But if if at worst you need to change the shape of your organisation, bestowing on them digital credentials as a currency that helps preserve their future and their growth, well, that's a worthy use of the technology on its own. Absolutely. That's a great example. There's also some of the other evidence here for education providers. Uh, You talked a bit about re-enrolments and that there's an element of improved completions or a a motivation for students. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah. um, It's basic human nature. If if I acknowledge your competency or an accomplishment, uh, you feel good. It's a little endorphin rush. And the first thing that you want to do is you want to share that achievement with those people that are most important to you. And you usually find that those people that are most important to you are your friends and your family and your professional networks. And so as as soon as you take a digital credential that you value and you share it out to say, hey, look, I'm proud of this, others will see that and and they will see who's issued it. And they will say, well, if Mark rates this, uh, well, then surely that's an institution I'd like to learn more about because I believe in Mark. So each single digital credential issue becomes an organic and very powerful endorsement for the issuer. Uh, And again, one of the things that IBM talk about is the fact that the social media impressions with every release of those two million badges uh, is phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, And they can't buy that. Because yeah. it, it's it's people believing in IBM, yeah, no. and then becoming an employer of choice. No, I compare that to the piece of paper that goes in the drawer, or even the PDF that that sits, sits in the inbox yeah. forever time. Absolutely. So, that, so there is a, a huge opportunity to get your brand out there. Huge opportunity to get the brand out there, but it's also a huge risk, and and it's an important risk to point out is that a digital credential is a bit of technology, and unless you understand what I call the holy trinity of digital badge program design. You must say that, uh, and we'll go through them in a minute. We've got, uh, I'll give you some sort of the, some 10 tips, if you like, on, on how to do this stuff. But the, but the most important... It's like the religion of digital credentials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the 10 commandments of digital credentialing. And they're not by me, they're up by other great minds, but uh, they're worth knowing. Um, but if I make sure that in the design of the digital credential, I have in mind at all times the, the issuer, the earner, and the consumer... Because if I issue a badge for participation and, and I consume that badge, there's not a lot I can do with that. It's not, it's not going to unlock you know, much value for me. But if it's highly valued, then I'm likely to claim it, I'm likely to share it, and it's going to deliver on what it's supposed to deliver. It's going to, so, so those people that say we're just going to create badges for the sake of creating badges, huge mistake. Uh, and uh, yeah, but in time, uh, people are going to understand that, and and that's the way it's heading. And uh, so there is a risk that the world becomes awash yeah. with credentials mm-hmm. that yeah. or badges that don't have value, mm-hmm. and it undermines the whole system. Do you think that? Yeah. Uh, do you think no, that the, the, the power of the highly recognised uh, badges will overcome that? Yeah, I think that when it depends on the nature of the badge, uh, and it depends on the issuer, but over time. I think everyone is going to understand the value and the technology will be largely appropriated by those that are getting it right. Okay, And uh, you will see far greater involvement from the great education institutions using it. Um, uh, We're working with a college in in Melbourne that uh, is providing employability skills around undergraduate degrees uh, and they're doing it just quietly under the radar. Let's just do this stuff. So they can work together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, they can work together. Yeah. So 
the benefits of you know re-enrollment, better in long-term engagement mm. with that student. Yeah. It's great that dialogue, that motivation. You know, it was all, all, all quite compelling. Now, if I think about vocational education. In some ways, they're very well set up for it because the structure of for, you know units and even skill sets. You know, mm. they they are almost micro credentials in themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, what I've what I enjoy seeing is. Uh, registered training organisations sitting down around a table about and, and designing programs that can be readily consumed by industry. That, to me, is the agility. That's what's needed. Uh, and more power to the RTOs that are collaborating in that way. Probably the magic in this is we've got to get the area of stacking right as well mm. so that a series of micro-credentials uh, can uh, inform a, a larger piece of work, which is the equivalent of a qualification. Yeah, uh, and again, I, I think that if I look at my own learning journey, that doesn't necessarily have to happen. Uh, your learning can happen in so many ways, so many areas. Uh, the idea is to catch it, to formalise it, to define its value to the organisation. And it, it uh, stacking is good, uh, I've got no doubt. Um, Short-form credentials are, are good as well as long-form. Um, it's a rich educational world, yeah. So as you know, David, ReadyTech is uh, is looking to extend our student management systems to be mm. able to support the issuing of micro-credentials. So what advice can, can we give to an education provider that uh, is looking to get started? Um, what do you think they should be thinking about? You know, help us to, to, to take some of these educators on the journey. Yeah, and this probably leads into the tips that I could uh, maybe worth sharing now uh, because I would suggest that any organisation starts with uh, can, an experimental effort. Right? What is it that we want to try and uh, pilot to make sure that this makes sense? And the things, and, and this is uh, the Ten Commandments, if you like, is what is the problem you're going to try and solve with a digital credential? What is the uh, specific learning problem? And if you fundamentally stick to the principle that this badge is going to have rigour and I have the consumer of this in my mind at all times, then that's the first thing you've got to do. What is the learning problem we're going to solve with this little digital credential? And then what you want to do is, is provide the capacity for the earner to add evidence to the badge. So if, if I issue you with a badge, I might say, Mark, can you... Uh, show me how you would write a competency statement for this particular skill. Well, I can take that and I can actually put it in the badge. Right? So you can have rich evidence within the badge. So encourage the addition of evidence, rich evidence uh, within the badge framework is, is important. Language is important. So we spoke about the communications gap. Make sure that the language that is in the digital credential is the language that will be well understood and hit the pain points of the consumer. So, you know, if, if consumers are looking for someone to, to run that bit of equipment, then state that in the digital credential. Because what you want to do is, is link the learning to the earning opportunity to, to as closely as you can. Mm -hmm. and get the, So think about the communication and the language that you use. Mm -hmm. Don't use hardcore uh, traditional technical, overly yeah. technical language, uh, for example. Just, yeah, yeah, define the competency in a, in a human language that is going to be, that makes sense to the consumer at all times. And then simplify it, simplify it, simplify it, cut it down, cut it down, cut it down to uh, a six to ten second read 
um, and, and think about that elevator pitch. So, you know, you've got two floors to explain to the person what that skill means. Um, that's an important way of saying, well, well, how can we do that quickly? Because if you've got 5,000 applicants for a role and you can see that, you know, you've got uh, these people that have normalised skill set and it's defined in a digital credential, well, that's going to be easy to say, yeah, okay, that's fine, that, that matches it. And then you go into the interview, the alchemy of the individual, the organisation and stuff. But simplify it whenever you can. Just cut it down and cut it down. And then repeat that. So within that badge so that it's easy to navigate and to see how all the badges hang together. Make sure there's consistency. Don't just issue a badge for that and then go over there and do the one for that. Make them consistent and repeatable along pathways that allow individuals to develop competency from foundational through to mastery. And that's kind of an important point for an institution. Other ones that we would point at is make the badges look meaningful. You'll see a lot of uh, software that allows you to develop a badge that looks like a comic image. I think if you are going to do justice to the whole brand value, just do justice to your brand and make sure that the badge itself looks to be of high value. That, I think, is a fairly critical element that some miss. And we've spoken about evidence and, and the importance of making sure that you add good evidence to a badge. And, and then make sure that the platform that you're issuing the badges for advocates for the earner of the badge, not advocate for the issuer. Understand that this, you're bestowing upon someone a currency of them that they can then trade uh, and unlock the value of the learning that they've just gone through. So make sure whatever the platform does, you clear the technology, you make it simple, you strip it down so that it's easy to liberate the learning from that point. I find it interesting how you always say earner, not learner. Yeah. Um, it's a shift, isn't it? Well, it is a shift, but uh, yeah, I think you can earn other things. And, and I, yeah, I guess I use both terms. You but, do. Yeah. You do. So I think that the, uh, look, it's great advice. I feel, mm. like we, I feel like we need a playbook for this. Yeah, what do you what think? a great idea. All right. I'll, do one, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll do one with you. Yeah, happy to help yeah. contribute in All right, my I'm, small way. I'm going to hold you to that. Great, I'll be so, here. So you talked about some, uh, a lot of this is, there is experimentation. I think if you look at those businesses that have been their first organisations, first um, Griffith and, and RMIT and whoever mm -hmm. else, there's been a, yeah. a period where they've experimented around the edges, mm -hmm. uh, obviously kept the main business, you know, the main forms of education intact mm -hmm. and have learned and, and, and experimented over time. So that, that sounds like the, the, the way to go. Yeah, and and you know, you'll you read a lot about you know what we need is one education system that that is a happy marriage between uh, universities, vocational education and training, and employers all working together to close the skills gap and to in, increase the capacity of of the whole economy. And I think regardless of where that goes, they will want a common mechanism for communicating uh, competencies, communicating skills throughout that collaboration. That is really interesting. And I read, I did read this and the opportunity that has been identified is for universities to work with vocational education providers to provide some of those maybe yeah. more technical or some of those more specialist skills yeah. that can be credentialized and sit alongside whatever it is, the, the larger degree course. And it supports a, a morphing, doesn't it? And I, similarly to the example of universities that are accepting some of those IBM credentials as prior learning. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Northeastern University being the first university to openly say we will give credits for those IBM badges, 
uh, RPL has been recognised for forever and, and people have been get, given credits for experience and honorary degrees and whatever else. That, that's gone on forever. But, but this hard, we are going to review those badges. So, so for instance, if I do an IBM badge, it's, it's cost me very little to do that. And, and now I realise it's worth you know, $2,000 as a credit against a master's degree in something. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really underpins the value of that. Isn't it extraordinary how something so simple as an online digital, essentially badge, yeah, yeah. with a piece of text, which is the accomplishment, yep. it can change so much. Oh, it, it, it is, uh, okay, so the diffusion of innovations. What makes this right place, right time? Uh, okay, it's, it's affordable. It, it, it does a, a time-honoured thing better. Uh, it's observable. It's trialable. It's repeatable. Uh, and it's affordable. So all of those things, uh, it just ticks every box for the diffusion of innovation. And there'll be a point not far down the track where we're saying, how did we used to do it? You know, that, that is here. Uh, and in, in many ways, these conversations excite me because um, we now have the evidence to share. Uh, so it's not guesswork, it's not experimentation. We have, we have the numbers. Uh, in the playbook, however, we want to we share some of that stuff. Now, you, you decided to work with Credly, Credly Acclaim. Yeah. Uh, what, tell us a bit about that particular organization and what attracted you to working with, with, with why did you choose Credly? I actually chose uh, the people behind Credly uh, before I chose Credly. So there were people like Jonathan Finkelstein and uh, John Walber and Pete Janzow and Jaron Schmidt uh, and, and Brenda Perea and Susan Manning and Hope Kendall. All these people, they don't come at it, they're not software developers, they're educators. Right, so they ask the question, what is the problem that we want this technology to solve? And they've never lost sight of that. And for me, the DNA for Credly is we are educators and we are providing a best of breed stripped down repository from which you can liberate your uh, digital credentials, your recognition of accomplishment. Uh, and, and so in many ways, the, the platform reflects that culture of saying we don't want the technology to get in the road. We want this to advocate for the owner. We want this, uh, this simplicity to be held in it. Just because the technology can do something, it doesn't mean that you should do it. And, and, and I fell in love with just that concept and with the people that built that concept. And uh, while ever they're at the helm, while ever that, that fantastic dedicated people are there, I'm sure that that uh, consistent culture and that vision and mission is going to be held. So that, that's the reason I chose it. Oh, it's lo- lovely to see someone working within their passion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's let's wrap this up. Let's look at the future before we do five to ten years down the track. Mm-hmm. What do you think this whole area looks like? And uh, the big question for me is what what role do digital credentials play in the future of work? Yeah, um, there's a couple of things that are going to fall away that are that are seen as, you know, I have this line that uh, sacred cows make the best hamburgers. Right. <laughs> so yeah. so take the things that we've never challenged before and challenge them, right? It's the essence of disruption. And what you're going to see is uh, people are concerned about data sovereignty. You know, we must have all their records on shore. You know, there's things like the Groningen Declaration, which is basically say we need a universal global language for what a skill is. There's organisations like CredEngine and Lumina Foundation that are saying we need a global language for what a skill is. To, to be a, 
to be an architect in, in the US, what does it mean to be a, an architect here? Is it the same language? And so there's a lot of good work going on that. And I think that while ever that good work and that understanding of this global village is going on, the digital credential is only going to rise up as the mechanism for trading that consistent language. Right? So that's going to happen. And, and data compliance and hosting your data on shore, those, those things are just going to fall away. As long as there is the, the absolute best standard of protecting data, no matter where it is in the world, that will happen. Mm-hmm. But not, you know, you've got to host your data on shore, that stuff will disappear. The other thing is there's going to be a happier blend between a self-proclaimed professional profile on LinkedIn and digital credentials. I think it's important for you to tell your story of who you are on LinkedIn and it's self-proclaimed, but I think it needs to be blended with some verifiable third-party uh, endorsements of what you can do. And I think you're going to see a greater blend of, of those two things in a, in a resume-worthy CV. So that, I think, is inevitable and that's going to happen quickly. There will be a standardised language globally. There's going to be less reliance on front-end loading education. Right, 18-year-old, yep, you're educated, now go out and work. It will be an open loop. And universities will say, yeah, we're going to have you a bit now, we're going to have you a bit then, we're going to have you a bit down the track. We could be obtaining micro-credentials in schools, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and at the moment, we take it down to about year nine, year ten. Yeah. Uh, but not below that for a whole lot of reasons. Yes. Um, but it does need to, that culture does need to start earlier. And we're working with some uh, schools in Australia now on that. Um, the other thing that I think is going to be... Uh, fairly critical to understand is that digital credentials are also good at uh, stopping skills fade. Okay, so if you go and do a first aid course or anything else, you can actually time limit them. You can say, okay, you're coming up with the fact that you do need to refresh. So you've now got a mechanism that enables you to refresh skills in whatever area you choose to do that. So uh, you'll see more of that. Uh, and, and you'll see Potentially people- supports a subscription type relationship uh, between uh, educator and earner. Yeah, absolutely it does. Absolutely it does. And and also, uh, if your membership for a professional association is expressed as a digital credential uh, and for some reason uh, you don't renew your membership or you move on to a new career, well, then you can revoke badges. You know, you can – there's also – the mechanism itself has so many facets that uh, we're just starting to understand it. But I think the primary ones, the jury is in, you know, we know exactly what it can do and uh, we'll discover a lot more benefits over time. Thank you so much. Absolute game changer, isn't it? And uh, so much opportunity. Yeah, I think so. Thank you so much for painting an exciting picture of the future. Uh, No doubt risks and challenges, but uh, vast opportunity. And thanks for sharing the evidence uh, and your passion for credentials. Uh, Thanks very much, David Kinsella. My pleasure, and uh, there's a lot more underneath this. If anybody wants to see that, they can get in touch with you and we can work out how to do that. Absolutely. There is, without doubt, depth and richness to this. Where can people find you? Uh, let's start with uh, reaching out to ReadyTech at this moment. Yeah. <laughs> You're very kind. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that's important. Uh, Everitas will be the wind under your wings for a while. What a, what a wonderful <laughs> image. Thank you very much, David. Thank you very much as well to the listeners. Uh, Really, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Worked. Please keep listening and subscribe to Worked at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thanks, guys. 